Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I am Drew. How are you? Uh, pretty weirded out by that uh, opening, but other than that... Why, man? We, we gotta switch it up every once in a while, do something a little different, keep people on the toes, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I did watch another YouTube channel where... Apparently, they did uh, some analytics tests where I think they said some of the most popular videos or the, or the thing that guarantees that videos get pushed by the algorithm are consistent openings. So that oh. might that might be a thing that they just made up or there could be some truth to that. But, what was uh, their uh, evidence or reasoning for that? Uh... I'd have to go back and watch that uh, that video, but I I think it might have been from like the analytics team at YouTube themselves who said it. Like that's just how they that's like one of the metrics that they use to decide what to push or what to promote. But I don't know. They they drill down to like some of the most minute details. I, like, I don't know how, how their whole operation works behind the scenes. So if a channel pumps out repetitive-sounding videos, they're more likely to get pushed to the top at the at pe- for people's algorithms? Uh, I don't know if the whole thing has to have the same uh, repetitive sound, but I think... I think what they were saying was if the openings for all the videos were the same, that uh, it, it has an effect on the algorithm or like what the algorithm chooses to promote. Again, Do you think I, we should, maybe we should just record an introduction that we just reuse every single episode. We could do that. Um, I, I think most YouTube channels and podcasts tend to have something similar. It's 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 an opening, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I guess I always just thought we were, you know, different. Yeah, we are different. I was just saying that whatever that was you did was painfully different. <laughs> <laughs> I hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I felt that in my soul. My butthole clenched when you said it that way. Oh, man. I I I was so uncomfortable. The only reaction that I could have was for my butthole to pucker. That's your natural defense mechanism. Yeah, it butt pucked. <laughs> that, that that's the equivalent of an armadillo rolling up into a ball or something, huh? Uh yeah. Yeah. In in the wild, if if we were all just wild beasts, uh, that would have been my defense mechanism. Interesting. I, I learned something about you, man. Yeah, yeah. Massive butthole control. Yeah, it's it's inhuman. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll always remember the time we went camping and you ate all this meat and never took a dump the entire weekend. Yeah. That uh, was a feat. It was. It was more about my willpower to elevate myself above animals because i thought i was too good to poop in the woods yeah i refused you could be a green lantern man with that amount Thank of willpower you. you could have been green lantern i i i'll take that and you know 
comparing myself to the Green Lantern comics that are out there, I'm definitely better than most of those Green Lantern comics. <laughs> <laughs> that you are. That you are. But today, we are not here to talk about Green Lantern comics, are we? We are not. With the holiday seasons around and uh, with the release of a new Disney streaming show, we thought we'd go into Hawkeye, the the character, the man, the myth, the legend. And uh, we thought we'd give you, the listeners, a little bit of background for the character and... Uh, you know, just so if any of you are curious about the streaming show and you don't know anything about Hawkeye Clint Clint Barton and uh, want to and want to learn about it, this will be a good opportunity for us to talk about the character, about some of the foundational moments and comics that you know make up uh, his background, and uh, you know just inform you guys. How does that sound? I don't know if I'm prepared for a history lesson here. I, I I didn't research his backstory. Well, you are just a natural well of knowledge, a fountain of information. Uh, so are you are you trying to buy me time to open up his Wikipedia page or something? No, no. I genuinely believe that you <laughs> know enough about Hawkeye to be able to tell people. And it would be a sufficient amount of information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure there are all sorts of other podcasts out there that are trying to that go into a lot of depth explaining yeah. who he is and whatnot. And I don't really think I've never yeah. really been too interested in stuff like that. I mean, I'm we're not going to go into so much detail where we're going to be like Hawkeye would never eat cream cheese because. In He's issue 17 of West Coast and yeah. Avengers, he was shown to be lactose intolerant. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we're we're going to give you just enough information so that you can, you know, you can, you, I'm sure anyone can watch the streaming show and not necessarily need to know anything about Hawkeye going into it that they haven't already learned in the movies. But we're, we're going to try to put in a little bit of connective tissue between what exists in the comics and what has been in the movies and what they're going to put out for the streaming show. Yeah. And at the time we're recording this, I believe four of the episodes have already come out. Yeah. I've only actually watched the first episode myself. Uh, I'm guessing at some point in a few weeks, we'll probably do an autopsy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, but it did leave us in, uh, a, a gray area where prior to recording this, I did ask Drew whether we were going to pretend that we hadn't seen it yet or whether we were just going to be completely uh, upfront about the fact that we had checked out a couple of episodes or in my case, I, I, I even watched two episodes. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have a little more uh, context than you do, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So, you know, even though we're going to do an autopsy at some point, I, I do think there are a couple of little things that I gleaned from the episodes that I watched that that will help me to shape, that, that'll help me shape uh, my idea of what direction the show is going in and how that relates to 
the Hawkeye we we do know from the comics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's what really interests me. I think just talking about Hawkeye gave me a, a good excuse to reread a few Hawkeye comics that I hadn't reread in a while. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be fun to discuss some of the comics and just think about Hawkeye as a character, not just Clint Barton, but also Kate Bishop. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a, I, I think of the young Avengers crew. She's, she's definitely come out as one of my favorites and is basically one of the rising stars from that group. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably say she is the rising star, even though a little while ago there was that one Marvel event Man. comic empire. Yeah. That, that was about Hulkling. I mean, I, I didn't even read that one. It, yeah. Maybe I'll check it out at the library sometime, but it, it just wasn't really priority or anything to me. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that up to this point, I'm I'm pretty numb to events. So it would have to be a pretty special event to catch my attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway. So let me ask you a, a question about Hawkeye Albert. A, yeah. A comic book related question but i was wondering if you ever had an affinity for hawkeye as you were coming up in comics so as a kid when i think about it uh i i've i've explained this like multiple times that um as a kid i didn't actually have a lot of access to comic books and this was before the library uh you know was fully stocked the way that it is today so yeah, back in our day, comic books weren't looked upon as books or literature. Yeah, they were slightly a, li- a, li- more than a respectable kid-like. library wouldn't carry comic books. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I did the of the few comics that were at libraries. One of the ones that I did find was Asgardian Wars by Chris Claremont. <laughs> How are you gonna have that as a comic for the for the masses? What you trying to do? What you doing? What you doing? Polluting young minds, man. Polluting young minds. Seriously. Um, but anyways, uh, <laughs> I think my uh, my in- introduction to Hawkeye I, is, I want to say he was one of the cards that I had. I, I don't fully remember if he was or not, but... I, I like I seriously don't remember if he even had his own card, but I I just remember the the one thing that I remembered about him uh really often was that one was he was a former villain turned hero mm-hmm. and there was always this aura around him of whether he could be trusted or not because he he had this background as a supervillain, right? Mm-hmm. And two, they were all. I always felt like they were always trying to sell him uh, to me as a character that deserved to be an Avenger, that deserved to be in the big leagues because they would be like, he fought Iron Man to a standstill using nothing but a bow and arrow, so he must be, you know, he must be have on skills. that level, huh? He's got to have skills. He's got to have skills. He's got to be worthy of being an Avenger up there with Iron Man and Thor. 
you know, because because <laughs> he beat Iron Man with a bow and arrow, <laughs> or fought him to a standstill, whatever. But every t- every time I read something about him, it always felt like that was the thing that they were constantly remind trying to remind us, just to try to make it seem like he was that good. And I was telling Drew before the podcast that even as a kid, I don't even know if I believe that, you know, it just felt like <laughs> they just had to find some way to hype him up so that, you know, a kid could believe it. It was like that one time uh, Scott Snyder, not Scott Snyder, Zack Snyder was talking about the Justice League movie and he tried to justify Aquaman's existence by saying that Aquaman uh no what he said was magic is one of the few things that can hurt Superman and Aquaman's Triton is magic so <laughs> he could cut Superman so he's one of the few people that could kill Superman so Aquaman's tough <laughs> it was like really, that is man? such reductive logic yeah but it sounds like a Zack Snyder idea or thought <laughs> pathetic yeah <laughs> So that's interesting that you felt that way about Hawkeye though. Um I'd be curious if we could if we had a time machine, I would have loved to see what comics you were reading to give you that impression of him cuz I I don't really remember thinking that when I was a kid and just picking up a random Avengers comic or whatever. Well, that's the thing. Like 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 I said, I never really had access to Avengers comics. Like, you know, when when I did go to a newsstand or something, it was either Batman, maybe occasionally Superman, some X-Books, or Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, before I, like, realized that comics were actually sold in comic book stores. So the only time, the only access I had to Hawkeye was, like, things that I read on cards, you know? Oh, okay, right. Okay, got it. I see where so you're coming from. Yeah, so those were so every time I thought about Hawkeye, that was what I was thinking was, uh, you know, he fought Iron Man, so he must be <laughs> good, <laughs> you know. I think he was also in the Iron Man cartoon from the '90s, wasn't he? Uh, I think he, I think he was a character. Remember when they had that story arc where they made Force Works? Wasn't he on the team, or am I just misremembering it? I actually don't remember watching. I mean, I remember the cartoon existing, but. To be honest, I didn't think it was very good at the time. It, it was it wasn't a good cartoon. It was a yeah, pretty lame cartoon, honestly. It, it it's worse than the X-Men cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Like I wasn't really into like it was an era where they were putting out a lot of cartoons. So, like I remember they Fantastic had the Fantastic Four, Four cartoon and they had a Hulk cartoon. Yeah. And but towards the end of that period, they made a Silver Surfer cartoon. Yeah, but that was, like, really short-lived from what I remember. Yeah, I don't think it lasted more than probably, like, 10 or 12 episodes or something like that. Yeah, but, you know, you got to understand, this was the era where we had, like, Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series, and quite honestly, none of those... Yeah, and quite honestly, none of those uh, Marvel cartoons just compared... Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's kind of it still kind of boggles my mind how much love that the X Men cartoon gets even to this day. Yeah, like Marvel. I mean, Disney just announced that they were gonna do a, a sequel animated series to the, the '90s animated se- series. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's clearly a demand for it. Like all the kids who grew up watching it, like people around our age who who are adults now, I guess they they still have fond memories of that show. Yeah. Well, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I'll admit that I was one of the probably one of the kids that did enjoy the X Men cartoon. Like out yeah, of all, the, I liked it when I was a kid, but I'm not yeah. a kid anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but I I am kind of curious <laughs> if they do a sequel series because again, not to go on too much of a tangent, but that X Men cartoon basically covered a bunch of the '90s X Men stuff that they were making at the time. Mm-hmm. And I I I am kind of curious that if to to see if they do a sequel series, like where they're gonna crib information or uh, storylines from, you know? They should just continue cribbing the rest of the '90s, man. Make it authentic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could get blood ties. We could get onslaught. Oof. Age of Apocalypse. That sounds awful when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well that's what the people want, dude. Uh I wouldn't mind a uh a relaunch of the show if it was good. <laughs> well or or yeah. you know what? Here here's what I'd say. If they could take all that source material and find a way to do better versions of that, I, I wouldn't be completely against it. Yeah, yeah. What if what if they did a new modern version of one of your favorite X-Men stories, the Asgardian Wars. Uh, I mean, they couldn't make it worse. <laughs> That's true. Would you rather they do an adaptation of Asgardian Wars or God Loves, Man Kills? I'd probably rather that they do... Uh, a version of God Love Man Kills. Okay, okay. If only because that could just be one episode, maybe two. <laughs> As Guardian Wars would be longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what was your uh, exposure to Hawkeye like, Drew? Like, when when do you remember the first time you recognized him or noticed him as a character? I think it was just from reading random uh, event comics of the of that era. I don't think I think he might have shown up a little bit in Infinity Gauntlet, but I I think he I I don't remember what happened to him. He might have gotten uh, killed in the snap, so he wasn't I, yeah. really part of the the battle against Thanos. I think he was one of the guys that was snapped away too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just remember like seeing him there. And then later on in Infinity War, in the Infinity War comic, <laughs> I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Black Widow, uh, you know, a few months ago in that episode. But in Infinity War, the comic, there was a scene where the heroes were all gathering at the Fantastic Four's headquarters so they could discuss what they were going to do and make plans to battle this new threat because... Uh, you know, cosmic forces were were at play, and there were these evil doppelganger versions of the heroes that ambushed them and tried to, you know, basically waylay them so they couldn't go to the meeting. And that happened to Hawkeye, 
he got beat up by his doppelganger, but um, before he could get fully uh, replaced by the doppelganger, he was saved and he got sent to the hospital, but he was just, I think he was in a coma or he was just sleeping and wouldn't wake up. <laughs> or I, I guess that's like the same thing. Um, and the, the funny thing there is that that pretty much took him out of the storyline. Like he wasn't part of the, the big battle in that story either, but what made it so wrong was that black widow and the black cat were at the hospital so they could guard hawkeye and spider-man's comatose bodies (laughs) (laughs) black widow and black cat weren't tough enough to be part of the main battle force they they had to be left behind and guard the unconscious bodies of male heroes (laughs) 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 so ridiculous it's like here do something useful protect the men (laughs) yeah Exactly. So I, I think I knew who Hawkeye was, but I had never really gotten a chance to see him at his best, you know, other than looking at old covers of comics because he was always part of the Avengers for so long throughout the uh, 70s and the 80s. And then there were the West Coast Avengers comics. I remember flipping through some of those. I never really bought that series, but he was he would just be in them. And then... Uh, there was that Iron Man cartoon, like I was saying. I'm pretty sure he was on that show. Yeah. But I can't say I ever really had a whole bunch of thoughts about Hawkeye. It wasn't until maybe around 20 years ago when I got back into comics after being uninterested in, in American comics for a few years. Uh, when I was in college, I got back into American comics and I was picking up pretty much just random things that that looked interesting you know a bunch of different avengers comics so he was all over those and he i think just the way that he was used in those comics it it made him more appealing um i believe it was yeah it was kurt busiek who was writing those comics at the time uh and then there was a brief story when uh jeff johns brought him back onto the team after he had left the Avengers and joined the Thunderbolts for a while. Uh-huh. So I, w- I would read a, a bunch of those comics and those gave me a good appreciation for Hawkeye. I, th- I think it was probably those Thunderbolts comics, man, because in the late 90s, early 2000s, when, when uh, Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley and then uh, Fabian Nis- Nicieza were doing the Thunderbolts comic. They they brought Hawkeye into the mix because the Thunderbolts were a team of villains who had some of them uh, decided to reform and and stay together as this team after they had originally been formed to be imposter heroes and try and take over the world as a plot that Baron Zemo had laid out. But they got rid of Zemo and the Thunderbolts who remained on the team. They were kind of directionless for a while until Hawkeye decided that he would take them under his wing and keep an eye on them. And I guess the reasoning behind that was, well, number one, I'm pretty sure he's a a Kurt Busiek favorite, like a pet character. But also because Hawkeye was this former villain, like you said, he made his first appearance fighting Iron Man and he was a thief. So he in the story, he thought that he would be ideally suited to lead the Thunderbolts because if they were truly on a genuine path towards 
uh, redemption, then he could be the guy that could show him how to do it because he had also been on that path, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, seeing those comics gave me uh, a new appreciation for him as a character because he he was a leader. And I, I also will say I gravitated towards him because he wore purple. And for some reason, when I was younger, I was really into heroes that wore purple. Like Donatello was my favorite Ninja Turtle in the cartoon. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. And and for disclosure, um, you know, our listeners should know that Drew did reread those runs fairly recently, like in the past year. Yeah, uh, I reread that entire run of Thunderbolts and like that entire uh Busiek and the Nicieza runs. And I also reread the Kurt Busiek and George Perez uh Avengers run where Hawkeye was pretty prominent in both of those. Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of George Perez, man, we heard the news earlier this week that he he announced that he's got a terminal cancer and uh he's only got like about six months, if not, yeah, or left to live. So you know, we we give the man uh our respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um tough thing to make known or to have happen to you but uh hopefully he and his family and friends can uh make the most of it yeah and uh for all, i guess for all of us fans whatever we can do to uh you know show appreciation to somebody who's drawn a bunch of comics that we've read and enjoyed you know it, i guess it's it's not too late yet you know and i guess it also goes to show don't uh don't hold back when you want to praise or just give a shout out to your favorite comic book creators. You never know how much time they have left. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So speak- what are your Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh speaking speaking with you about like old comics, I I do remember there was one comic, one Hawkeye comic that I read as a kid that was probably the only like only uh Hawkeye thing that I ever had or had read hmm. for the longest time, you know. So I remember <laughs> I remember I I've 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 talked about this before, but my dad used to run like a like a, a like a small shop and he would buy comic books or he would buy random knickknacks to sell and uh, occasionally he'd come across like boxes of comic books at flea markets that he would try to sell at his shop and i remember one of the books that he had in there was this hawkeye comic and it was a it was part of a mini series so i never really found out what the rest of it was about but the first issue was basically about him going into this really troubled neighborhood where there were a bunch of gangs mm-hmm. and the one, one thing i remember about it was um uh, was there was this storyline where um basically they get hawkeye to follow a couple of the gang members into this alley and then once he gets to this dead end all the other gang members are at the top of the alley and they just all have guns and stuff and they just <laughs> shoot down into the alley where Hawkeye is. 
and he just gets Dang. messed up. <laughs> and Wait, then you, he gets shot up by all the bullets. Yeah, yeah. And then he just he's just laying there in this alley, just a bloody pulp. And then what ends up happening is <laughs> he goes to the hospital. He survives, and then he uh, you know, he decides. It's time for him to get tough, you know? <laughs> so he puts on so you don't really see what happens, but you see him take out a bunch of dudes and in the final panel you see him and Hawkeye's tough now because Hawkeye has armor. <laughs> <laughs> Was this from the nineties? It it might have been, been even before the nineties. It might have been a little older, but uh it was a pretty stupid look for him. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I can look pretty for silly. it. But 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 yeah, I just remember him getting shot up in an alley, and I <laughs> for for whatever reason that always stuck in my mind as a kid. Yeah. Well, he he got better pretty quickly. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I remember. Uh, when I got back into comics in the early 2000s, there was a miniseries, or I don't even know if it was a miniseries. It could have been an ongoing series that just got canceled pretty quickly due to low sales. But Fabian Nicieza wrote a solo Hawkeye series around, it must have been around like 2002 or 2004 or somewhere thereabouts. And that story, I remember reading it because Shanus was buying it uh, issue, you know, month to month. But it wasn't good, man. I don't remember a single thing about it other than I read it and wasn't impressed and it didn't leave any lasting impact on me. Eesh. Yeah, we... There was a pretty long period of time where Hawkeye was mostly just... uh, a supporting character on a team, uh, you yeah, know, part the, of the ensemble cast. The so interesting thing is that he has had quite a few solo stories. Like I know in the eighties, he had at least a mini series and there was this other comic called solo Avengers. And he was like always in that one. Uh-huh. So it, it never felt like he never got enough attention because he was popping up in all these different comics. And then he, he was even a leader of the West Coast Avengers back in the 80s. So yeah. he definitely got around. I don't know how I don't know how readers or fans of that era viewed him, but I think by the time we were kids growing up reading comics in the 90s, it, he wasn't he definitely wasn't really a fan favorite among anybody I talked to. Yeah. Um yeah, I I yeah, I was also going to mention that uh, as a character, one of the things that I always thought about him, um, you know, early on when he was introduced, was it always felt like he was he was supposed to be the cool guy on the team. You know how like every every team has like one cool guy, like that archetype. So Who, who's the cool know, guy on the Justice League? probably got to be well okay uh, i think you could probably say that the snake eyes of the team is probably batman and that's 
kind of the cool guy. But okay. if we're talking about like the 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 guy who's kind of the 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 hothead or the you know the really charismatic guy, I'd probably go with Wally West. Okay, okay. Who's yeah. who's the cool guy on the Fantastic Four? Got to be Johnny Storm. X Men. Wolverine. Or Gambit. What about the Teen Titans? Uh, Deathstroke, because he slept with children. Oh, man. <laughs> What's cooler than that? <laughs> Dang, Albert. Somebody's going to clip your voice and take that out of context. <laughs> um, he was very popular with children. <laughs> I never wrote those comics. That was Marvel Wolfman, buddy. Um, I thought 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 it's it's messed up because George Perez drew those comics. I didn't mention him at all. But I was gonna say, uh, I I probably would have said Nightwing was the cool guy in that group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd probably go with Nightwing in that group. Who was the cool guy in Rob Liefeld's X-Force? Oh, they were all cool guys. They were all just exuding so much cool that it was just <laughs> paralyzing how cool they all were. Um, I don't know. Like, who was it? Shatterstar? Maybe Cable? Yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it Shatterstar? Do you, would, you have, would you consider Shatterstar their cool guy archetype? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and considering he's pretty lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? He's pretty lame when you think about it. That's why I tend not to think about it or yeah. about him. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I will admit, the double swords was kind of a fun thing when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's got two swords coming out of one sheath. That's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. One hilt. One hilt, whatever. Yeah. That's a that's um, a pretty funny gimmick. It's it's pretty absurd. It's absurd. <laughs> uh but yeah, like Hawkeye was always he was I always felt like he was their their cool guy slash their hothead, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause whenever something was going on with the Avengers, he was the one who was uh you know, mouthing off to the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. He would he would mouth off to Captain America. Yeah. That was kind of his his thing, I guess, like you were saying, because he, he was the one guy that was such a hothead. Cap could say something, and he'd be like, nah, Cap, let's do it this way. You know, like, he'd be the guy that yeah. would act like he knew better than Captain America. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, he still pretty much did what Captain America told him to do. <laughs> he just had that attitude about him <laughs> every office has that one employee <laughs> yeah <laughs> that one guy who who should just do what they tell him but <laughs> he's always got to make it difficult yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean that that was always my impression of him and it's interesting to think of that and think of 
the Hawkeye that we would get years later. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I I think it's fair to say that the Hawkeye we have now is probably the most distilled uh version of Hawkeye that that I think of, or it, it's it's like the purest form of Hawkeye, the Hawkeye idea when I think of what Hawkeye is. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even think of that Hawkeye from from my childhood anymore. Like what what we have now is basically what I recognize as like the true quintessential Hawkeye. Yeah. And it's interesting to think like how much it's changed from that. I I do think they they try to keep a little bit of that, but yeah, overall they they they've moved away from parts of his uh character and background that have been established, you know? Mhm. And mm-hmm. and it took some like good writers to finally write good stories uh that made that work. Yeah. I I do think that one kind of underrated aspect of Hawkeye, or I don't know if it's underrated, but it, it's it's an element of Hawkeye that maybe people don't talk about or think about too much is the fact that he's got this long history of changing identities. Yeah. Because even in the, it was either the late 60s or the early 70s, he switched away from just being plain old Hawkeye and using bow and arrows. And he he became, he took some, uh, Hank, he took some pin particles, you know, from Hank Pym and got the size changing abilities and he started calling himself Goliath. Yeah. Yeah. He did that for, for a while. And it was notable enough that people still bring it up every so often and, You'll see stories where where uh, he goes back into that well. And then in the early or mid-aughts or whatever you call, like circa 2007 or so, when he, he uh, came back to life after dying in House of M, he came back as uh, Ronin. He took the identity that uh, Maya Lopez had or Echo had crafted and became the ninja ronin also uh which we also saw in in uh the movies in endgame yeah yeah so those are a few pretty big moments for him as a character changing identities and it's kind of strange to think about it now because i don't think there's really anybody now who prefers clint barton to have growth serum (laughs) yeah it's it's just a, a strange thing, you know, like you identify him with bow, the bow and arrows. Yeah. And even to some extent, maybe you could understand uh, the Ronin identity, but even yeah. that was a bit short-lived, you know? Well, I guess yeah. his Goliath identity probably wasn't very long-lived either, but um, well, it's, it, uh, he always ends up going back to the bow and arrow. Yeah. Part of me feels like it was a thing where either the writers or you know the editorial people were like they didn't believe in the idea of a guy with a bow and arrow being one of earth's mightiest heroes yeah like 
they didn't believe enough in the idea of Hawkeye as a concept that could stand on its own. So they were like, well, what can we do to make him cooler? Or what can we do to make him viable, right? And we see yeah. this a lot with other characters where, you know, they try to give him like some sort of change or a power boost to try to make them more interesting. And yeah. And usually it just takes a writer who who gets it, who gets what, like, it, it's like you were saying, right? Like, what kind of stories can you tell about this specific character to make that character shine, right? That's mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that matters. It's not it's not about his power level because if mm-hmm. that was the case, then all you would have to do is tell people that Aquaman can kill Superman, and that automatically makes Aquaman cool, right? <laughs> that's that's not the case at all. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, you you have to find a way into the character of Aquaman, into the character of Hawkeye, figure them out, figure out what makes them tick figure out what makes them a compelling character why why is it that someone would want to care about hawkeye right yeah and once you figure that out like it doesn't matter that his whole thing is that he's just a guy with a bow and arrow right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that actually brings me to another portrayal of hawkeye um one of the more modern portrayals um but i'd say that other than the comics one of the one of the versions of hawkeye that i really did like was uh like joss whedon's hawkeye from uh from age of ultron you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a lot of people crap on that movie because they look at hawkeye and they were they were like they didn't understand why hawkeye got so much screen time in that movie yeah but, but he was a character that had a lot of heart you know and yeah i, I like that movie a lot that's that's definitely something i like way more than most people like yeah yeah and like one of the one of my favorite scenes is the scene where it's him and scarlet witch and scarlet witch is mm-hmm. kind of freaking out with, mm-hmm. with all the chaos going on and Preacher. hawkeye just has that huh I said preach it yeah and hawkeye has that little talk with her while while she's hiding right and he goes look you can just stay in here and like be safe side you're an avenger and you know what you got to do right yeah and just by saying that it's that's that was inspiring you know he and he was like i'm i'm just a guy with a bow and arrow and uh, you know, we're on a floating I, island fighting off an army of robots. None yeah. of this makes sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that is like the most relatable thing in that moment, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But he, that was just telling thing. her to if he if she stepped out of that building, she was an Avenger. You know that there was. Yeah, that was a pretty inspirational moment in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's probably up there in terms of like my top maybe two or three Hawkeye moments. If, if yeah. it's not my number one Hawkeye moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to see how the MCU version of Hawkeye evolved because when he first appeared in that Thor cameo and in, and then in the first Avengers movie, 
you could tell that the and even in Age of Ultron, you could tell that the primary reference point from the comics was not the classic Hawkeye of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s or 2000s, but actually the ultimate version of Hawkeye. Yeah. That Mark Miller and Brian Hitch had created. Yeah. You could tell because number one, the the costume design that the MCU Hawkeye had was very similar to the Brian Hitch design. Secondly, he was also in the movies, he was also an agent of Shield. <clears throat> and then third, he had a family because in the traditional continuity, Hawkeye didn't have a family. He was he was more of like a a womanizer, if anything, but he, he didn't yeah. have a family or any kind of stability like that. It was only the ultimate version of Hawkeye who treated basically treated being an Avenger as being a job, you know, like he was a professional who did his job. And then when he wasn't on the clock, he had a family and a home to go to with, you know, wife and kids. So to right. see that brought into the MCU, I thought was pretty interesting. And it, I feel like in recent years, I mean, I guess especially with Endgame and with uh, this new Hawkeye TV show, now is when we're trying. That now is when we're actually seeing a little bit more of the six one six Hawkeye. Yeah, you know, with the with the whole Ronin elements, and then just the fact that this TV show is heavily heavily based on the Fraction and David Aha run. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting transition, I guess, to to go from Ultimate Hawkeye to to the six one six Hawkeye. Yeah, it just it it does feel like at the time that they were making the movies, a lot of the influences were being cribbed from the Ultimates, and it it does feel that as as the years go by, the influences of those just definitely seem to be in the rearview mirror more and more, and you know, absent of that fresh take. Uh, they've really got nothing to go back on except the core concepts of the characters, the core elements of the characters that have existed from all the other older books that have come before. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's it is an interesting uh, direction to go, you know, like just watching that process unfold, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. What are the essential elements of what makes a good Hawkeye story? Huh. That is a good question. Um, huh. I So I mentioned earlier that for the longest time, it just felt like he was a character who, who was kind of a bunch of different things. And, mm -hmm. and I guess, yeah, I guess it wasn't, for, at least for me personally, it wasn't until the uh, Fraction AHA run that we see, that we, we would finally see like a version of Hawkeye where I think I could probably take all the elements of him and be like, okay, this is... This is the the quintessential version of this guy that I'm looking at, right? Yeah. They do stick 
to some of the like they do take some of the ideas of like him having a rough background and uh they they modernize that or contemporize that whatever the term is uh mm-hmm. so so like when i think about when like when i was a kid again like it, it was more like oh he was a super villain because he fought iron man right but yeah they've cleaned that up since and they've just made it more like oh he he was part of the circus of crime and he he uh you know he ran away from home and he just had a rough upbringing as this street smart tough kid more more they play it more that, that way than he is an actual super villain i guess you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah so i guess there's that element of it where he he's just a regular guy in this world where everybody's got superpowers but that's the thing that makes him him is just that tough toughness right mm-hmm. that uh that street Being smart. An, kind of an everyman yeah 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 a determined and tough everyman yeah i mean what do you think what 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 would you say are some key elements key key collector elements to what makes key collector <laughs> Uh, some key collector elements of what make a hawkeye story a hawkeye story yeah that's a tough thing to answer because like just about any other superhero character when i think of what makes a great story for so-and-so character like you know what you i can ask myself what makes a great batman story or what makes a great justice league story or a great thor story or you know name the character or the superhero team it always just boils down to if this is a story that only works to its maximum impact with this specific character then that's how you know it's a great story for that character like let's you know take something like craven's last hunt right like you can't do that story with anybody else yeah you could try to replace spider-man with some other hero but it just wouldn't work you know it wouldn't be the same it wouldn't have the same impact yeah that's the reason why craven's last hunt is just one of the absolute all-time great greatest spider-man stories yeah yeah it's it's about a very specific dynamic that Mm -hmm. has to be present Mm -hmm. but when i think of of hawkeye this is tough because I just reread the Fraction AHA run for this episode. And when we started this podcast several years ago, we started doing our Marvel Top 25 countdown. And we had this Hawkeye run on our list. I think it came in at like number 18. And we talked about it way back in episode three. <laughs> like, so that was like a really long time ago, right? And I I didn't go back and try and listen to what I had to say back then. I think that'd just be kind of embarrassing. But I definitely would still uphold Hawkeye. That run of Hawkeye as one of the best Marvels that's ever been out, you know. But I'm I was trying to think about what makes this run of Hawkeye so special. What makes it a truly quintessential Hawkeye story? And it 
it's hard to really articulate and boil down the exact elements. I think I would have to like sit down and, and try and write, uh, you know, a critical examination or an essay or something to, to, to do justice to that. Cause as I was rereading it, the thing that jumped out at me the most was not necessarily just the fact that it was Clint Barton and Kate Bishop, but it was really just the craftsmanship of the comic because the, the way that they tell that story is so impressive. The way that that AHA uses his artwork and does so much of the work to communicate information and make you feel something, it's, it's really a forward-thinking and innovative comic. It's, it's a comic that takes a lot of artistic chances and it's a comic that is formally experimental like there's that whole issue told from the point of view of the dog and then there's another issue that's told from the point of view uh of being deaf so like just those two issues alone like those are things that you can pull out and study over and over and like continue to to dissect at great length and and that's what I think about when I think of the best run of Hawkeye is, is just how well done the comic itself is from a technical standpoint. The story is still excellent, but I, I'm just, I'd really have to think about what makes Hawkeye shine, you know, yeah. like what, what is it about that story that, that shows how special Hawkeye is? And, and all I can really think of all that really comes to mind is that Clint Barton is basically an everyman. Yeah. And he's he's somebody that I think on the surface he he he's easy to underestimate because number one, he's a, a normal guy in a superpowered world. But he, he operates alongside people with magic hammers and suits of armor. Yeah. Yet somehow he's able to still maintain their respect. So there's there's clearly something special about his character there's there's something about him that allows him to to operate in that world successfully wait 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 so you're saying that because he's a regular guy that fought iron man to a standstill we have to recognize him no i'm not saying that <laughs> i'm saying that because he fights alongside them you know he fights alongside iron man he ain't he ain't the dude who's fighting Iron Man to a standstill because we're at the point now where Iron Man already knows what he can do, right? So Iron Man doesn't want any of that anymore. He doesn't want to fight Hawkeye anymore, man. He's scared of Hawkeye. <laughs> okay, okay. Why do you think they never had a rematch? Okay, okay. That, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh... You know why Thor's never fought Hawkeye? Because he's scared. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, uh, listening to you talk about Hawkeye, the, the the other thing that I will say that makes Hawkeye and, um, well, the, the one thing that I can take away from the Hawkeye fraction run, uh, the, the, the fraction and David Aha run, the, mm -hmm. the one thing that makes it unique for me, actually, now that I think about it, is the fact that it, it's not just hawkeye and it's 
Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. Yeah. Because after that, uh, you know, you have the Jeff Lemire run, and you see uh, Clint Barton and Kate Bishop in uh, several other books. And, um, you know, we mentioned earlier at the start of the episode that Kate Bishop was probably the breakout star of of the Young Avengers uh, team that came out a couple of years back. But uh, it it took a while, but I I really think that this Hawkeye run had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And but I do think that their dynamic is actually one of the one of the things that makes it unique, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there is something special about their relationship to one another that even when you have a Hawk, a book titled Hawkeye, um, I do think it works best when you do have her in the ensemble, you know, as a, you know, either as his partner or a supporting character, but, um, you know, just having them playing off each other uh there's something i guess in there's something entertaining and uh mm-hmm. there's something entertaining in in that and some enjoyment that i get from watching them interact with one another because even though he's a mentor to her and she's his namesake um that's the right term right namesake yeah 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 um like in in some ways clint barton in the comics is such a mess even though kate bishop is the younger of the two she's probably got her head more grounded than he than he does you know yeah yeah Uh, like on some level she might even be slightly more responsible than him. Yeah. Maybe even more mature. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a pretty fun dynamic to see. So it's it's I, that's why I will say that when when they showed the uh the trailer for the Hawkeye show it felt right to have Kate Bishop in it, you know? It Maybe fanboys will will lose their nuts because they're like, oh, this is the first appearance of Kate Bishop in the MCU or whatever. So, oh, wow, that's great. But you know what? I, I was talking to uh, to our buddy Kenton the other day, and he was yeah. telling me that uh, he was hearing stuff about how people were hating on it because it's that contingent of people who are like, they want to replace Hawkeye with a woman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the comics already had Kate Bishop as... Uh, She's you know been what? Hawkeye for like 15 years. Yeah. But I, I'm saying this like there's some argument that could be made to like convince idiots, but there really isn't. So... Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, for those of you that are listening that you know would like to know or are open to knowing this let's talk about kate a little bit yeah she exists she has existed for a while you know this isn't some new push to do this or that or whatever like she is part of the comics you know yeah yeah so like the, the the history behind kate 
and really all the young Avengers goes back to around 2005 or so when Marvel did this event called Avengers Disassemble when Brian Michael Bendis came on board and dismantled the team so he could rebuild it anew. And in that storyline, in Avengers Disassembled, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, ended up getting killed. I mean, obviously, yeah. he got better. But there were <laughs> there was a period of like a year or two where he was... He was dead, and his his death uh, it had it it affected the people around him. You know, like Captain America was pretty depressed and stuff like that. So uh, there was also the disbanding of the Avengers uh, for a few months. They were out of out of action in in the Marvel universe, and what ended up happening was there was this new team of teenagers who ended up calling themselves the Young Avengers, and they all basically patterned themselves after various members of the... Existing Avengers. Exactly, exactly. So you had guys like uh, Eli Bradley, who who was like the Captain America type. You had uh, an Iron Lad. You had uh, Scott Lang's daughter, who, who got the Pym Particles, and she called herself Stature and... You know, and and then you had Kate Bishop taking on the name of Hawkeye because she was she didn't have superpowers or anything, but like Clint Barton, she just was skilled at fighting and could use a, a bow and arrow. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that whole series came out in the wake of Avengers Disassembled, and, and as no the one Young said Avengers then. Yeah, no one said anything then because it was just comics. Yeah. No, well, I mean, I, I do remember people being mad that Clint Barton died. Every everybody was like sending hate mail to Bendis, you know. Yeah. He kind of he kind of killed uh, Clint Barton in a pretty haphazard way. Uh, yeah, Clint ended up getting shot in the back, and in his final moments, he flew a jetpack into an a Kree ship and blew himself up. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things where everybody was like. Wait, if his arrows were on fire, why didn't he just take off his quiver? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why do you have to kill himself? <laughs> Look, he was just tired of it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you're wondering how he came back to life, it was because of House of M. In that event comic, when Wanda Maximoff, when Scarlet Witch remade reality, she somehow brought hawkeye back because she was also the one who killed him because she was the one who uh was responsible for the bad day in avengers disassembled so i guess you know comic book logic she she killed him she brought him back so yeah so he he came back and eventually rejoined the avengers but yeah for for kate bishop uh that yeah, that Young Avengers when it came out it was by uh, Alan Heinberg who wrote a bunch of TV shows. I remember he was a big name at the time because uh, he wrote for the OC. Do you remember that show? I never really watched it. It wasn't I, something I was interested yeah. in. It was part of that slate of kind of that era's teenage, you know, heartthrob shows or whatever they, you know, some like something along the lines of like a Dawson's Creek. Or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of like a Dawson's Creek. That sounds right. 
I mean, I I'm referencing another show that I don't even know if anybody else would remember to 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 explain <laughs> a show that <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody would remember. So yeah, uh, that's true too. Yeah, but um. I mean, at the time, that was a big deal because they were just plugging his name all over the place because, again, this guy came from television, so uh, it felt like a big get for Marvel. And yeah, from what I remember at the time, the books did well. Yeah, like, I think they did do pretty well. The art was pretty cool in those comics. Jim Chung. Jim Chung, right, yeah. Yeah, Ellen Heinberg and Jim Chung co-created Kate Bishop. yeah. Jim Chung's artwork is always really good. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that uh, series, that Young Avengers series, it it's something that I've reread a couple times over the years, and I feel like it's one of those comics that, uh, I mean, I, gu- I guess I would have to say it loses its luster for me. Like, I've been yeah. less and less into it each time I've reread it. yeah. At the time, I really liked it, and then I, I think I eventually gave away my copy to somebody. For a while, Kate Bishop wasn't really into yeah, any comics. Just, like the it, the Young it, Avengers it, would pop up here and there during uh, events or you know special crossovers or whatever, but she was uh-huh. mo- mostly kind of like this background character along with the rest of those kids. And then uh, when Fraction and and Aha did their Hawkeye, she became a main character in the story you know she yeah. she even like there was even a part in that series where she left clint in new york and she went to to la and had her own adventures by herself so she was you know she had her own leading role and and then uh right around that time kieran gillen and and jamie mckelvey did a new young avengers story that lasted, I don't know, maybe 15 issues, and and that one was really good. Like that, that's a story that I would recommend. I need to get a, my own copy of that. But she she was pretty prominent in that series as well. Um, yeah, and then a couple years ago, she was headlining her own Hawkeye series written by Kelly Thompson. I can't remember yeah. who the artist was, but yeah, that that one probably lasted another 15 or so issues. Where she had her own adventures apart from from Clint, and then, then she ended up leading a a West Coast Avengers yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, exactly, just like her mentor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think, think Kelly Thompson a, wrote that one too. Yeah, that was Kelly Thompson. Yeah, yeah. So and I was gonna say I think there's a current Kate Bishop series happening right now to coincide with the TV show, but I haven't. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I mean, as a character, I I have, like I said, I I I probably she's probably my favorite Young Avenger to come out of there, and probably the one that's the most uh, well-rounded and developed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so do you want to talk about the trailer a little bit and just uh, what your impressions were from from what we saw? uh you know what they teased for for what the miniseries is gonna look uh was gonna look like sure yeah i mean uh, since i've seen the first episode i I do think that it's something i'm gonna enjoy because i quite liked that first episode 
definitely reminded me of the Fraction and Aha run. You can yeah. tell they took so much from it, even straight down to the tracksuit mafia saying bro all the time, you know? Like that's Yeah. I mean the the logo, the closing credits. They it they definitely cribbed so much from David Aha, man. It it's it's yeah. kind of messed up how they're probably not paying him anything special. Yeah. I was going to say the show the the one thing about the show that I noticed that's like the book is just how it does try to be lighthearted and pretty quippy. Mm-hmm. Like just in terms of their interaction with one another, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, so one of the things that I noticed or that I remember from the trailer was that it's something that takes place uh, in Christmas, you know. So it or during the Christmas holidays. So it does make sense. Uh, or I, I guess the way that I kind of look at it is it's a, it's kind of their Christmas special show that they're putting out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see something today when I was watching the second episode that, that sort of stuck with me. Um, there's this scene where Kate Bishop and Hawkeye are walking around later, right? And uh, I forget how they get into the conversation, but basically they're talking about Hawkeye's brand, what he is as a character, right? Mm. And Kate Bishop talks about how, for all intents and purposes, Hawkeye should be, he's kind of mysterious, he's kind of tough, he's uh, kind of brooding, and, and she says... Everybody should love you. You like you. You should be cool, right? He's but the cool guy. You're the cool guy. Yeah, that's a, basically <laughs> what she was saying. But she goes, but uh, I forget what she said. How she phrases it, but I think she says something to the effect of, "But after the past couple of years that we've had, a- after the things that have happened in the past couple of years, I think people are over that sort of earnestness, like." What people want is sincerity, and what people want is, you know, something genuine. And and that that conversation, like I I, I want to go back and watch it again, watch that specific scene again. But that that conversation really stuck with me because it's it's an idea that makes sense for me that because they put it in their holiday show, right? Like, what's more sincere and genuine for the holidays right and christmas or, or yeah I, I yeah i guess like do, do you get what i'm saying like if they're gonna tell a story about um about hawkeye finding his sense of sincerity like about finding the joy of being a superhero as about as opposed to being like this really broody angry like character just finding the mm-hmm. fun in just being himself like yeah it makes it sense sort of to makes have sense. that happen during christmas time yeah right so um like we'll talk about this a little more when when we do our autopsy but that 
that conversation really did stick out to me. And if that's a the the underlying theme of of the series, I actually think that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll have to see, have to get caught up and see how it all plays out. I do like how they've integrated Kate into the MCU. Feels like her backstory is pretty close to the comics because she is this really rich kid. I mean, in the comics, her, her backstory is basically she grew up as this kind of spoiled rich kid. One day there was a, there was an incident in her past where, she was uh, attacked or the victim of a crime or something. So after that, she learned how to fight and, you know, went through a bunch of training for whatever reason to defend herself and somehow uh, was inspired by by Hawkeye to take on his mantle when he was thought to be dead. And then in her more recent adventures, like one of the things that... that uh, we saw in the fraction story is that her father is not a good person basically involved in organized crime and things of that nature so uh there's that rebellious element to her uh, as well you know to for her to go against her her own father and that ended up becoming a big storyline or a big uh part of the plot in the Kelly Thompson run. But there are also some things that the comics did that were just flat out weird. Like I think, I think her mom died in the comics, but came back as a vampire or something. Oh, (laughs) you remember that? I know, but I, I, I don't like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just not down with vampires in the Marvel comics, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I would hope that doesn't happen in the MCU. Well, but you never know cuz Blade, Blade is, is on there. the way. Yeah. Yeah. So Man, that really took the wind out of my sails. <laughs> yeah. You sound depressed. <laughs> I'm just trying to uh, uh, reconcile that new information, you know. Like I, I, I don't want that to be the case. Like I like Kate Bishop as a character, but I don't want uh, her mom to become to a have, vampire. I don't want her to have like some sort of vampire backstory that she's gonna have to deal with because that's lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be pretty lame. Yeah. So, did you want to talk about? Any other, like, potential directions that you think that the the series might go based on what you've seen in the trailer? Like, uh, what, what do you think it's going to be about? Man. I mean, just based on the trailer and what I've seen of the show so far, it it does feel like what you're describing, where it's like almost like Kate kind of leads Clint back into appreciating what it means to be Hawkeye and what it means to be a hero, essentially, because what we see in the first episode, they're at that ridiculous Steve Rogers musical. Yeah. And 
it, it's almost like he's still got some kind of uh he's trauma got some PTSD or PTSD yeah yeah like he's yeah. he still can't really handle thinking about what happened to Natasha and feeling like it was yeah. his fault somehow you know that was a pretty poignant little moment just him seeing that actress uh portraying Natasha and him kind of having a mini mini breakdown <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he goes to the bathroom and then some other guy <laughs> enters the bathroom and takes the urinal right next to him <laughs> yeah that yeah. was a pretty funny scene man guy code don't do that <laughs> yeah never do that <laughs> yeah if you go to the bathroom and there's a free urinal a couple of spaces down you take the one that's furthest away <laughs> exactly and that bathroom was totally empty except for the two of them. And the dude just straight up used the one directly next to him. Yeah. <laughs> just don't do that. <laughs> the only time that that's okay is if it's a full bathroom and that's the only one that's free. But, like, th- uh, we shouldn't have to explain this to people. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude wanted to selfie with him in the bathroom. Yeah. That was pretty funny. I think I enjoyed the the humor in the show so far. One yeah. one thing that did strike me as a bit odd was when the that auction was happening and they had the Ronin costume in the box. When Kate picked it up and put on the costume, how come it fit her so well? Because isn't Clint a totally different body size? Really? Huh. Because I was watching it and it looked kind of... It looked pretty loose on her. Oh, okay. Like I thought she was kind of swimming in it when I when I was watching it. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I didn't pay super close attention to that then. Yeah. Um so at the end of the Black Widow movie, they they teased the idea that Yelena Belova is going to probably try to swear some revenge on uh, Clint Barton because, you know, he's responsible for the death of her sister, supposedly, right? Mm-hmm. You think that's going to play any role in, in this series at all? I think so, because I think she's supposed to... I think she's supposed to appear in the series. Okay. And I haven't I haven't been paying attention to any spoilers or anything, so I don't... I don't know if she's already appeared, uh, but I did remember hearing that the actress is gonna show up. So, okay, yeah, it's there. So, we'll we'll have to see how that plays out. So let's see. So we've talked about the fraction run a little bit, and we've uh, mentioned some of the Kelly Thompson stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, Hawkeye runs that I did read more more recently was also uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, Ramon Perez. Yeah, that was a pretty fun run too, and and that took place right after the David Aha and Matt Fraction run. And I do think that even though visually it was pretty different from what they did i i still think it was spiritually very in sync with what met fraction and david aha established you know um yeah i i reread that run myself 
this week also. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. I would actually say that in terms of how it flows out of uh, the Fraction and AHA run, the artwork, there are those uh, watercolor kind of scenes for all the flashbacks. And, yeah. and then you have the the stories that take place or the scenes that take place in the potential future. They're drawn in a, in a sketchier kind of style. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Ramon Perez's uh, normal art for the present day scenes, it, it's not too far removed from how David Aha drew in in Hawkeye. So I can see I can see that kind of uh connective tissue there. And I also would say that the story in the Lemire run it it's more it, it definitely flows out of what happens at the end of the fraction run. So yeah, yeah you you can definitely read both back to back and it's it's pretty satisfying. Like the the whole idea of the Lemire run is it it deals with the the concept and the theme of family and and how uh Kate and Clint have both experienced trauma in their in their past as they were growing up. Mm. So you get to see how that affected them into the people that they are in the present and then they go on a mission in the present and it um it's it's heavily influenced by Akira so they they rescue these yeah. kids that have these crazy telepathic powers and these kids are kind of uh they're misshapen you know like they've just been experimented on but they're they're still little kids they just happen to have brains that can kill people just by thinking at them mm. so they they rescue them and and Kate wants to take care of them she feels the sense of responsibility and long story short without spoiling too much stuff it kind of goes south for them and they have to figure out who they are. It's a really well done story. It's just told in a more straightforward manner compared to the fraction aha stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. I do remember that it, it was definitely something that continued to play on the idea of, uh, of just Kate and Clint's relationship. It even, you know, breaks them up momentarily mm -hmm. but only only just to bring them back together again you know yeah yeah which is another thing that fraction also did yeah it's it's interesting to think like we we mentioned earlier about how there are certain stories that only work with certain characters and there is something about Kate and Clint's dynamic, which is pretty unique, you know, like I, I mm -hmm. couldn't look at them and and look at them and say, well, they're just stand ins for Bruce and Dick, you know, uh, or uh, they're stand ins for Bruce and Tim or, mm -hmm. you know, really Batman or any of his his wards. Um because their relationship is pretty unique and yeah and and like uh, you know i'm i'm hoping 
you know, based on what we've seen in in the trailer so far, it, it does feel like they're trying to capture the essence of that, you know? And I, I yeah. do think that they've done an okay job so far. Um, I don't know if we're quite at that place yet. It, it has... We've only seen... Well, I've only seen the first two episodes, so, you know, there there's definitely room for growth um but there's there's a potential that we're going to get to get to that place where we're going to see them have that kind of a relationship with each other you know and i'm looking forward to that personally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah one of the things that the fraction aha run kind of played with was this idea of clint barton as someone who has a history of being a womanizer yeah so he's 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 got uh well he's got relationships or you know close relationships with various women and one of them obviously is black widow natasha romanoff and then the second figure is mockingbird who was his ex-wife and at the time that fraction was writing these comics Clint Barton and Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, had been dating as well. So, like, the three of those characters show up a couple times in in the run, and there's always this uncomfortable kind of tension between Clint and each of them. Oh, yeah, and on top of that, there was another lady that he ended up sleeping with in the story, you know, just someone that is introduced in the story, yeah. So there's there's just this weird tension between him and and like most of the women in his life, but Kate yeah. is the only one where he can just be friends with her, you know, and it's not anything because she's a minor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure if she's technically a minor at this point. Like she could uh, be, she could be like in her early twenties, maybe. Really. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like the way that she's drawn, it doesn't look like she's 16 or 17 or anything, you know? Okay. I'll, you don't think she looks like a young adult? Uh, I I'll have to go back and look at it, but maybe in my mind she's just perpetually a young Avenger. So you I'm know. not even sure if the young Avengers ever vocalized how old they they are. Like if they ever. Sh- they ever shared what their ages were when they were first introduced. I mean, I was always under the impression that they were like teenagers. I guess so. I mean, maybe they were in high school. Like they could have, like if, if you say that they're in high school, maybe they were like 17 or something. And by the time this story takes place, you figure a couple years have probably passed in, in their world. I don't know. Comic book aging is always a tricky thing, especially when it comes yeah. to big two universes where you can't you can always age up younger characters, but you can't always age up older characters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that that sliding timeline makes things confusing when you think about it. But I I guess I would still say I I didn't get the impression that she was a minor. I mean, she still lives on her own and and uh, you know she can. But I always chalk that up to the fact that she was just rich. 
Yeah, I guess that's possible too. I don't know. I think just the way that it was written, it didn't feel like she was a little kid or anything, you know? Well, I mean, I didn't say she was like a little kid, but or it didn't feel like she was a teenager. It didn't feel like she was in. It wasn't like she was in high school or anything. I, I just meant that she was someone that if you had relations with, it would be illegal. <laughs> you always gotta take such a funny approach to things, man. <laughs> nah, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Look, if I'm able I feel to like if I feel like you into silence, then I've done the job. Man, because I feel like if I defend that, I'm gonna sound like a pervert. <laughs> like if I say. Dude, she's not a kid. She's at least 20. I would sound like a pervert. <laughs> you have you have a boxed pervert. me into a corner. There there is there is nothing I can say to counter your logic now. Well played, man. Well played. Uh, I, I applaud you. In the middle of a game of verbal chess, <laughs> verbal and mental chess. You have you have outwitted me tonight, Albert. <laughs> but regardless of what her age is, they are still friends, Clint and Kate, and I think that's that's the relationship that's at the heart of Hawkeye. The fact that they're friends, even I guess though you could... he's. I was going to say, I guess you could say that he takes his mentoring of her seriously. Like, for a guy who's messed up all mm -hmm. of his, messed up so many of the female relationships that he's had in his life, mm -hmm. it says something that the one that he takes seriously is the one where he's a mentor to this person who looks up to him and wants to be like him right mm -hmm. yeah and I, th I think you can also say that it's not just that but the fact that they don't have any kind of romantic elements to their relationship it it makes it comfortable for them to be friends you know like he doesn't he can't the reason why he screws up all his other relationships is because or his other friendships is because they get romantic or sexual and that eventually just uh messes things up afterwards but with with kate there isn't any of that they they can just be friends and you know fight crime together and and do all that superhero stuff in costume on the streets but they can also just spend time with each other and hang hang out with each other and you know spend time with their dog together and, and whatnot, or with Clint's dog, even though the dog probably likes Kate more. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. That's rough. I mean, there was that scene, right, where when she's about to leave for uh, L.A., she ditches him, and she's in his she's in his apartment, and she just storms off, and she's like, come on, Lucky. And then Lucky gets up and follows her out the door and Clint's like, hey, you can't take my dog. <laughs> <laughs> the other element that, or, or one other thing that 
is a newer part of Clint Barton uh, that I wanted to mention or that I just thought of was, uh, and I don't even know where this, I, I want to say this first showed up in the Matt Fraction, David Aha run, but I think during the Fraction Aha run was the first time that they showed him as being deaf, right? I think that was something that had happened in older comics as well. Because really? I think in his backstory, like when he was beaten by his dad, or when his dad beat him, like something, his dad messed him up because he was a little kid and it made him hard of hearing at the time when he was young. Really? Oh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't aware I think of that. That's, I think that's uh, part of that backstory. And like okay. over the years, I think they've gone back to that well of making him hard of hearing. But definitely the the fraction run was my first exposure to that idea. And okay. I think I think it's probably the story that really does something with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I I I do remember watching um I mean the one episode of uh Hawkeye that I did watch they you watched two or I mean yeah the two the first episode of Hawkeye that I watched when when he was watching the musical like they made a point of him you know having this hearing aid uh, and being this deaf character so I yeah I, was like, I never noticed him having a hearing aid in the Avengers movies yeah I I don't remember if that was the case either yeah but I was like, oh, that's that's an interesting like sort of thing to integrate into the into the show, and you know, it, it, heck, it's an interesting thing to have a character who's who's deaf. I can't think of any other you know superhero who's deaf. Well, we did just watch Eternals recently, and Makari oh, was yeah. deaf in that movie. That's true. That's true. And the other character that's supposed to show up in this TV series is Echo, Maya Lopez. Ah, you're right. She is deaf. Yeah. Who's that guy from, uh... Oh, isn't the Pied Piper deaf? In, uh... Oh, the Flash character? Yeah. Like, he, he built remember. himself a device, right? To help him hear? Oh, okay. I don't... Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, my point being, there there aren't a lot of deaf characters, so I I always thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. remember the that uh, sign language issue in the fraction in Aha Run? I I remember it like I I remember it existed. I don't remember like the specific details of like what it was about. Oh okay, yeah. I was just gonna ask you like if if the sign language made sense to you. Uh, I I'd have to look at it again. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's yeah. My like even the sign language that I do know, it's not like great. It's it's very uh, it's limited to to really small phrases, really small things. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on Echo as a character? 
Uh, I like the idea of Echo as a character. Uh, she was a character that I believe was created by David Mack. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the David Mack character uh, who yeah. showed up in in Daredevil. I think it was David Mack and Quesada, Joe Quesada. That sounds about right. Like it was a, it was the story right after uh, the Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada run. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I think David Mack wrote that and Quesada was still drawing it. Yeah. And she's uh, I thought she was a pretty cool character, uh, you know, just based on her design and just the idea of what she could do. She was basically what is that term? Is that like an autodidact? Autodidact is somebody who teaches okay, himself okay. or herself. Okay, okay, so not that, but she she was basically like the taskmaster in the sense that she, she could the photographic mimic, reflexes. Yeah, exactly, photographic reflexes that could mimic uh people's moves, uh almost exactly. But the thing was, she was a deaf character too. But mm-hmm. I I guess because of that, she developed like a You know, like a sensitivity to to motion and like mimicry. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if she's ever interacted with Hawkeye in the comics, but you know, I I've always liked her as a character. So being able to see her in Hawkeye now, I'm curious to see how how they're gonna get this to work. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think at first I was wondering why would they introduce her in a Hawkeye story because I associate her more with Daredevil. Yeah. But then I was like, oh yeah, duh, Ronin, right? <laughs> because oh. <laughs> in, in in the comics, in the comics, Echo was the original Ronin. Yeah. So the, the backstory behind Echo is that uh, she was she was a character who showed up in Daredevil because I think her father uh worked for or was killed by the kingpin and uh kingpin basically uh raised her to be this uh powerful fighter i guess or she, or something like that i can't remember exactly but that that's basically the gist of it and and you know there's that kind of symmetry in pitting her against daredevil because daredevil can't see but his hearing is intense but <laughs> while Echo is deaf, but she can look at something and master it just by looking at it. Yeah. And then there was a, a period of time when, uh, after that story, she was kind of forgotten, you know, like nobody really used yeah. her. She just faded like, into the background. Yeah. Like later on in uh, a couple years after that, David Mack came back and he wrote and painted an echo story in the pages of daredevil like it was weird because it was right in the middle of brian michael bendis's and alex malieve's run he they basically took like a five or six month pause so that david mack could do his story and it was uh, a story about echo going on a vision quest she meets wolverine because you know wolverine gets around <laughs> 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 And okay. Then, yeah. After wait, did you ever read that story? That that was a good story, actually. Like even though I kind of teased it by putting by mentioning how Wolverine is in there, I still yeah. thought that was a good story. Like there was there was something 
artistic and and moving about it. So did if, if you look it up, too? it's called Echo Vision Quest. Did David Mack draw that? Yeah, he painted it. Yeah. Well, then d- that's definitely something worth checking out because his artwork's like fantastic. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. Yeah. And and nobody really used her after that story either until Bendis became the writer on Avengers. And after he did Avengers Disassembled, there was the, he did the new Avengers. And one of the hooks of the new Avengers was that uh, most of the members were revealed to us, you know, like the Marvel kind of teased it out. You know, you've got Wolverine, Spider-Man, Cap, uh, Iron Man, Luke Cage, Spider-Woman, and the Sentry. But alongside them, there was this mysterious new character named Ronin. And everybody was like, oh, that's just Daredevil in disguise, you know, because Bendis wrote Daredevil. He loves Daredevil. So, you know, he's going to put his favorite dude on the Avengers. And, you know, it kind of made sense because Ronin was this ninja kind of character. Daredevil has that background as a ninja. And yet when they finally revealed who Ronin was, it was Echo. Yeah. So she was part of the new Avengers for quite a while. And then you you just mentioned you were wondering if if Clint and Echo had ever really interacted. So there was a period when they overlapped on the new Avengers. I've been rereading all of Bendis's Avengers stuff. So obviously uh, they slept together because that's how Clint Barn does it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you joking or are you serious? No, I'm serious, man. Okay. Okay. It's okay though. She's not underage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So after Clint Barn comes back to life, he rejoins the he, or he joins the new Avengers and and Echo decides that she doesn't need to take on the Ronin identity anymore. She can just operate as who she is. And at this point, Clint's not really comfortable being Hawkeye. And on top of that, there's a he's kind of like an outlaw and stuff, too. So he ends up uh well, Maya offers him the, the Ronin costume and he accepts it. So he ends up taking over that uh, identity. And I guess ever since then, this Ronin identity has been one of those things that gets passed around too, which is, it's kind of strange to me how how the Marvel writers keep trying to make Ronin a thing, you know, because... You've had Echo as Ronin. You'd have you've had uh, Clint Barton as Ronin, and recently or a few years ago, <laughs> you know who was Ronin? Iron Fist. No. Who? Who's a lame character? D-Man. <laughs> Lamer than D-Man. Gambit. <laughs> uh. It was Blade. Blade was Ronin? Yup. Was this from uh, the Jason Aaron run? Not Jason Aaron. It was, uh, I want to say, I think it was Al Ewing. I can't remember. It was It was Mighty Avengers. I see. Yeah. I wonder why, 
I mean, if they're just going to make him a thing, then they just should just make him a thing. But I don't know. Who who designed Ronan? That wasn't David Finch, was that? Uh, I think David Finch was the first one to draw Ronan, but I want to say Joe Quesada designed him. Okay. David Finch drew him in the story, though, or her in the story. Okay. Yeah. But oh. I think that was another reason why people were like, wait, how can Echo be Ronan? Because the way that David Finch drew Ronan always made Ronan look straight up like a dude, you know? Like, it, he looked like that's, Daredevil. Yeah. Well, that's because David Finch is a terrible artist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just straight up said that. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no no disrespects whatsoever. Oh no no, absolute disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to soften the blow and be diplomatic, yeah. but uh yeah, I guess wait, 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 wait. Let me let me correct that. Utmost disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> the maximum possible amount of disrespect available must if be If I could find to any him. more disrespect to heap onto the disrespect that I have already shown. I would have done so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, then. Well, it's good to know how you really feel about David Finch. Uh, I hate his parents because they birthed him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Man, you are on a roll tonight. I, I really, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> well... I don't know. Like, what did do, do you? What do you personally think of Ronan? Do you think that's a character that you care about, or a character that you would want to see, or do you just you know? I guess it I depends mean, how you if you consider Ronan a character or just uh, a mask in a costume. You know, like it's it's more of like like I I think if Echo had stayed as Ronan, I would have been totally cool with that if if they had left clint barn as ronan uh you know that that wouldn't really fly It'd just be weird to me like it, i'd rather have him as hawkeye yeah like the amount while he was ronan it was fine you know like th- those were some good stories and and bendis did a good job writing him and i enjoyed those comics but somewhere in the back of my mind even at the time when these comics were coming out, we all knew that it was temporary, you know? Like, there was no way that Clint Barn was going to be a ninja forever. That's that's just weird, man. I mean, it, yeah. it's still better than being a vampire, but it's still weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the same thing that I'd, I'd feel, which is, at the end of the day, Clint Barton's always just going to be Hawkeye to me, and I would prefer to see him as Hawkeye. Yeah. So even when he's Ronin, there's in my heart, I'm always just gonna want to see him as Hawkeye because that's who he is to me, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I had to be perfectly honest, I, I I'd even go so far as to say that that applies to Echo too, because I I actually do like Echo as a character. Granted, mm-hmm. she was someone that wasn't really utilized or really had much. Uh, time in the limelight other than those two stories but you know if anything i would have wanted to see more stories with her where with her as herself you know 
Yeah, yeah. Even when she decided to go back to being plain old Echo, she wasn't in those New Avengers comics very long. Like she kind of disappeared after Secret Invasion. Yeah, she's a character where I I just think that that's lost potential there. Like I I feel like that's more lost potential than the idea of Ronan as as a character that they could cash in on because you know there was also that time when bendis uh brought her into his moon knight comic do you remember that i do and you know spoiler he killed her (laughs) (laughs) i think she got better probably because you know what echo's up to now is she ronin nope she's the (laughs) phoenix is she yeah that's jason aaron Huh. She uh she really went pretty far in life from going <laughs> from from being a street level boxer to the Phoenix. Yeah. That's that's leaps and bounds. Leaps it's, and bounds. <laughs> I, I I haven't watched the end of Game of Thrones, but I saw a meme that was basically saying that making Echo the Phoenix was kind of like the ending of Game of Thrones. Oh. Okay. Well. Is, is that, that something would... that you would agree with or? I mean, I don't really have the context for it because I haven't read Jason Aaron's Avengers yet. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea was just that it's a random character that gets the the throne, you know, or it's a random character to yeah. get the yeah 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 the exactly Force. exactly yeah. But I will also say that in recent years, um, it almost feels like we've gotten to a point where it's more like who hasn't gotten the Phoenix Force yet. Yeah. That's true yeah. too. Um, yeah. Here, here's what I'd say. It also makes me think of uh, that one uh, cartoon where they were talking about who was the greatest basketball player of all time, and everybody's making a case for all these different players, and at the end of the day, they crown Paul Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> That that might just be a situation where like they all just negotiated and like that was the best they could all agree on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, he did well on my fantasy team. I, like he always <laughs> gave me good solid stats, so I had no hate for Paul Pierce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, well, that's that's the thing I was gonna say. Like since Jason Aaron wrote it. I, I I'm giving I'm willing to give that idea more than a chance, but yeah, if it was anybody else, I, I'd just be like, uh, I I I can't really get behind this, you know, like I I need to there need to be a plausible reason for how something like that happens. Yeah, yeah, I I need to read the story. I'm gonna request it from the library. Yeah, I just I, it was just something that I saw spoiled for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how it happened or why it happened. But, e- yeah, even with all this, like, Echo as a character, like, 
I feel like it's missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity because she's someone who definitely could have sustained her own book as just, you know, a street level crime fighter, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and all these years later, we just never got that, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. I got love for Echo. She's definitely one of the characters I look at with fondness from that era of Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, what's done is done. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Hawkeye comics or the character or the show? Um, I, I will say that even though I never really thought of Hawkeye much growing up, um, and and he wasn't necessarily one of those underdog characters that I that I personally have love for where. I'm, you know, where I root for them to become popular so that I can get good comics with them in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that's not the case, when now that we're living in an era where Hawkeye is popular enough, where he is getting his own books, uh, I, you know what, I do celebrate that a little. I mean, it's it's always good to see a character. Uh, who doesn't get a lot of attention, you know, it's always good to see that ca- kind of ca- character blow up and, and make it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm, I'm glad that Hawkeye as a character is, you know, mainstream now and not just the butt of jokes. And, uh, yeah. It still yeah. kind of feels like people don't really like Hawkeye, though. Yeah. Well, I feel like the people that don't like Hawkeye are the movie people. You know? Yeah, a lot of the movie fans don't seem to like Hawkeye very much. Yeah, they, they don't seem to get Hawkeye, and they don't seem to care about like the more human qualities that he brings to mm-hmm. to the Avengers yeah but you know some i mean somebody out there likes him like he keeps getting miniseries and comics right and yeah they put him on a bunch he's, of different avengers teams yeah i feel like he's he's well respected in, among comic book fans just not really among uh the movie fans yeah well i think it's just reductive is what it is they look at him and it's just oh it's bow and arrow that's lame. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's I mean, what it boils down to. Yeah, you're probably right. It, it's a pretty... Uh, it's, at that point, it's not really looking at the character as a character. It's just looking at the character as a set of powers or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, that's... that's. Uh, I have nothing in common with that person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have anything in common with that person. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I, f- I feel like any any comic book fan who's been a longtime reader of the Avengers is going to have Hawkeye as one of the top Avengers, you know? Like, he's yeah. always just one of, the, one of the most important Avengers, you know? If I'm building an Avengers team com- consisting of, like, the all-time greatest Avengers, he's he's got to be on there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had... <sighs> Okay, so I I even have friends where I have 
similar conversations, not necessarily about Hawkeye, but just in terms of, you know, whatever pop culture we're consuming at any given time. And sure. a lot of the times the argument really does boil down to his power is not as cool or, you know, he's not as powerful as that dude or he's not as cool as that guy. He doesn't have a magic not- trident. Yeah, stuff like that. And it's just, it's so hard for me to continue conversations like that. Like, I I just have to stop myself before I say anything really demeaning. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just... To your friends. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just like, that's... Uh... You know, if that's the case, then we we can just keep making up more powers just to outdo the last guy. And by that logic, that makes the next guy the best guy, right? Yeah. It's... it's. Yeah, I can't. I don't understand the mentality of, of judging characters or finding favor with them based on their power set. That That's never yeah. really... That's not the draw of superhero comics for me, you know? Yeah, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There are some heroes where it's like, oh, I I like them because because of their power set, sure. But like, I don't limit myself to that, you know. Yeah, exactly. As, as long as they're not a vampire, you know, I'm, I'll <laughs> give them a chance. <laughs> oh man, I'll even take a werewolf. Oh, I'll take <laughs> the, the man wolf, you know, or uh werewolf by night give me those guys before you give me blade (laughs) oh ouch what dude you disagree not really i can't i can't say that i got any love for blade either but (sighs) i'll take werewolf by night over blade that is uh i'll take the man wolf over morbius I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything redeeming about Blade at all. I yeah. Yeah, I got I got nothing, man. Well, when the first Blade movie came out in the late nineties, didn't that help Marvel make stay afloat? It did. That's probably the best thing about it. Yeah. Well, uh the the actor that they're getting to play the new Blade He's really cool. Yeah, that's true. He's uh, Ali. Yeah, if anyone's gonna give me any uh, hope for Blade, I guess it'd be him. Mm-hmm. True that. I'll take him over Wesley Snipes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm just I'm at a loss now just because of uh, Blade. <laughs> you're gonna just, go to sleep thinking about blade now there's there's just something depressing about blade i don't i don't know it's uh, <laughs> you know speaking of characters where it's like oh i'm glad that they finally got you know found a, an inroad to make that character popular blade is not one of those characters that, I, that i've ever rooted for you know do you think blade has more fans than hawkeye Ooh. I feel like I feel like amongst 
Oh, I if I had to guess, I'd say yes. Because of the movies. I think so. You might if have I really that name to... recognition. Yeah. And I don't think people have uh, nearly as much of an aversion to vampires as we do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can't really explain why I don't like vampires. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think if if it were just a straight-up vampire story, I I think I could stomach that. But I I really don't like vampires in my superhero comics. And I can't really explain why. I think that's... That's what it is right there. In a world where like everybody's power sets are just so off the charts, the idea that, you know, this thing, this creature of the night that just sucks blood is going to, you know, threaten any of them is pretty laughable. So you 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 don't think a vampire could beat up Hawkeye? Uh, no. Yeah. Even Hawkeye, yeah, no. No. Do you think a vampire? Do you think Blade, Blade himself, could beat Hawkeye? Oh, uh, I mean, he is. I guess he is a pretty talented hand-to-hand fighter. Mm-hmm. And he's but got would, strength and other powers. Yeah, but I wouldn't want him to beat Hawkeye. I would root for Hawkeye to beat Blade every time. Do you think Blade could beat up Aunt May? Yeah, most definitely. But I would root for Aunt May every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think if they introduce Blade, there's a chance at all? If they introduce Blade into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is there any chance at all that they won't introduce vampires uh i mean (laughs) what would so are you saying that blade wouldn't even be a vampire what if he's just you know a guy that hunts creatures of the night When you when you put it that way, you make it sound like he's some like sociopath hunting down <laughs> prostitutes or something. Well, <laughs> I mean, they definitely wouldn't ever make that movie. But <laughs> it, on one hand, I think I would be more inclined to enjoy Blade if he was not a vampire. But on the other hand, not making him a vampire feels antithetical to the idea of him but on the other other hand it's not like you were ever married to the idea of blade that's true that is true the the concept of blade or or whatever was at the core of the concept of whatever blade was right if they just reinvented blade as a guy who who wears sunglasses and uses a sword and guns to fight bad guys yeah, I could be down with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. What if he was, you know, kind of more like a John Constantine type where he, you know, he was just, but more Fighting of like a demons an and stuff. Huh? Fighting demons. Yeah. Like, like, you know, an occult fighter. 
Yeah, yeah. If he if if he weren't a vampire, then that would still that would still be fine with that, you know, because he could he would be like a uh, a ninja version of Doctor Strange or something, you know, fighting yeah, threats exactly. from other dimensions yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, I I I I could stomach that. What if Here's a... vampires are from another dimension? Oof. What if the multiverse introduces vampires into the into the MCU? Oh, that's really making me just. That's making my butthole pucker right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Like, if if that's the way, if that's their backdoor way of introducing vampires, is that vampires are uh, from an from another dimension. That's 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 gonna sound. That sounds super stupid. There's an alternate universe where everybody is a vampire <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> like you know okay so the thing i was gonna say was at the end of uh eternals when, when uh john snow's character what's what's that guy's name kit harrington the, the actor yeah kit harrington or yeah talking about the character he plays no i will okay uh I was talking about Kit Harrington, but uh-huh. so at this at the end when you see Kit Harrington and you hear the voice of Blade, yeah. So, like that's the thing that again just goes back to why the idea of vampires don't really fit into the Marvel universe. Like they just spend entire an entire movie fighting these giant planet-sized celestial beings, right? Like, literally, they came out of the Earth, like, a giant hand came out of the Earth, and they just survived that, and you're telling me that the next thing that you're setting up is them fighting with vampires? <laughs> like, is that... It just feels like uh, several steps backwards, right? Yeah. Like, it it really doesn't feel quite as special. Like, so if your big tease is, hey, Blade is here, so... You know, logically speaking, that means that the next thing that they're going to fight is vampires. But after everything that you just witnessed in this past movie, is that really, is that really the threat that you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> that is true, man. Somebody, somebody should have uh, talked to them about that before they decided on the course of action they were going to take. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I just. Uh, yeah, I I hope if he just becomes uh, a ninja version of of John Constantine, where he's just a dude that fights the occult and you know mm-hmm. otherworldly creatures, as opposed to specifically vampires, I yeah. can be done with that. But I have I doubt they're gonna go that route. Like it just feels like if you're gonna do Blade, you have to have him fight vampires. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see it from the same point of view as you. I begrudgingly accept that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not excited about it, but I accept it. Yeah. Man, what a, what a downbeat note to end this on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm depressed right, at the everybody. idea of it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our rant on vampires. <laughs>
Peace out. Bye, guys.